Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Rev. Dale Cohen. January 9th, 2022. Welcome to this edition of First Words Podcast from First United Methodist Church. I'm Dale Cohen, Senior Pastor, and we're continuing a series on, Hey, Aren't You My Neighbor? And today we're going to be talking about making time. I'm going to use Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 38 through 42, as the story for our, uh, our message today. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're continuing our series on being a good neighbor, and last week we looked at the commandment to love God and love our neighbor. I introduced the block map, a tool that helps us identify the eight households closest to us, and asked you to list people's names, basic facts, and hopes and dreams. If you haven't completed this yet, I encourage you to do so. Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak, the developers of this exercise, say that in their experience, only 10% of people know the names of all eight of their neighbors, 3% can write some basic information for every home, but less than 1% know their neighbors' hopes and dreams. Neighboring is hard work, and it also requires time. Henry Nouwen said, We become neighbors when we are willing to cross the road for one another. There's a lot of road crossing to do. We are all very busy in our own circles. We have our own people to go to and our own affairs to take care of. But if we could cross the road once in a while and pay attention to what is happening on the other side, we might indeed become neighbors. To love our neighbors as we love ourselves requires creating time and space to develop deeper connections with others. Most of us already feel we don't have enough time for our relationships, so we resist making new connections that demand more of us. When we say, I don't have time to get to know my neighbor, we're really saying, getting to know my neighbor is not as important as everything else I must do. In the reading from Luke's Gospel, Mary and Martha host Jesus in their home as he travels through Bethany with his disciples. Martha busily prepares dinner for the crowd of at least 20 to 30 people. Meanwhile, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, oblivious to any responsibilities she might have, and she listens to him teach. Martha is frustrated because she could use some help, but she also wants to hear Jesus. Luke describes it this way, Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, 
Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There's need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus isn't condemning Martha. Instead, he asks her to consider what's most important at that moment. Jesus says she was worried and distracted by many things, some of which were unimportant. Like Martha, we need to ask ourselves if we're living at a pace that allows us to be available to others. That doesn't mean we stop everything we're doing. It's evaluating our commitments and choosing to be present with our family, friends, and neighbors. Part of the problem for Martha and for me is that our lives have been taken over by the urgent. Again, Nowen says, If I were to let my life be taken over by what is urgent, I might very well never get around to what is essential. It's so easy to spend our whole time being preoccupied with urgent matters and never starting to live, really live. I love Nowen's distinction between the urgent and the essential. Martha's problem, and my problem too, is the urgent takes priority over the essential. Mary focused on what mattered most, and Jesus said she had gained something that no one could ever take away. When we focus on the essential, our priorities fall into place. In their book on the art of neighboring, Runyon and Pathak describe the urgency trap. We live at warp speed, becoming champion multitaskers. We put our heads down and zip to work, dropping our kids at school or daycare on the way. We eat on the run and meet on the fly. We get home late, watch TV while eating dinner, hang out with the kids and simultaneously check email, reply to text messages, finish housework, pay the bills, and then crash. We wake up the next day and do it all over again. It's a dangerous way to live because no one can survive such an unhealthy schedule. We fool ourselves into thinking we're the exception, but eventually we realize our health, relationships, and ultimately our happiness have all taken a hit. We must continuously battle the temptation to live at an unhealthy pace. There are three harmful lies at work in the lives of hurried and harried people which keep us trapped. Lie number one, things will settle down someday. The truth is things will only settle down when we die or when we get intentional about adjusting our schedules. We tell ourselves things like, if I can just get through next Wednesday, then everything's going to be fine. But then Wednesday comes and something new comes up. Lie number two is more will be enough. With this lie, we convince ourselves that we're just one purchase or achievement away from contentment. If we could just buy more, do more, or be more, then things would be all right. Of course, satisfaction never comes. As soon as we purchase, achieve, or obtain something, there's always another shinier, newer, more desirable thing just beyond our grasp. Lie number three Everybody lives like this. This lie makes us believe that being overly busy is normal. Everybody lives at a frantic pace, we say, so we need to follow suit. The truth is, 
that everyone doesn't live like this because some people are able to maintain healthy boundaries. When we read about Jesus' life, hurried never comes to mind. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's right. Jesus came to give us a life of abundance, not a busy life. Hurry and busyness are thieves that rob us of peace, kill our joy, and destroy our relationships. John Ortberg says that hurry is the greatest enemy of our spiritual lives. And he says the reason that hurrying is so dangerous is because love and hurry are not compatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. If being a good neighbor is a priority, then we must ask, do we live at a pace that allows us to be available to those around us? If not, we need practices to help us slow down and attend to the most important things. So if our lives are too out of balance to have time to get to know our neighbors, then the solution is clear. We must identify and eliminate the non-essentials. And following are three life balancing principles that will help us do just that. First of all, be intentional about the essentials. This step requires reflecting on what's essential and scheduling around those things. In Psalms it says, So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. We recognize each day has a limited amount of time. However, our lives have a time limit too. We need to focus on the essential things before our lives slip away. While my relationship with God comes first, I must then decide the proper order for the rest of my priorities. While attending a Super Bowl game, a guy remarked about an empty seat between him and a woman sitting nearby. It was my dead husband's, the woman explained. I'm sorry, he replied. I'm shocked, though, that you weren't able to find a family member or friend who would have taken his ticket. Me too, said the woman, but they all insisted on going to his funeral today. The second practice is to eliminate the time robbers. Don't be afraid to say no to those distractions that rob us of time and get in the way of our top priorities. Not many people would say that watching TV, surfing the internet, or scrolling through social media adds much value to their lives. However, we often spend hours doing just that. Eliminating unnecessary distractions and unproductive habits can help us focus on the essentials. We don't collect time, we collect experiences. Time is what we invest in creating those experiences that bring meaning and purpose to our lives. So failing to invest our time wisely results in an inferior life to the one that's possible. In calling us to imitate Jesus' focus and humility, Paul said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. Investing time in our neighbors helps form the spirit and character of Jesus in our lives. The third practice is to be interruptible. 
This practice is simply a willingness to be inconvenienced, and it means developing a mindset that accepts interruptions as opportunities for a holy encounter. Last week, I told the story of the Good Samaritan who encountered a man beaten by robbers and left for dead along the roadside. Although a priest and a Levite walked past the man, the Samaritan was the only one who stopped and helped. Dietrich Bonhoeffer observed, We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly cross our paths and cancel our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by, preoccupied with our more important tasks. It is strange that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they are doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. We must learn how to notice others, especially those in need. I've learned to leave some margin in my schedule so I can attend to the unexpected needs of others. But when I fail to build in time for these holy encounters, I risk not being fully present to what's happening. In Galatians, we read, Let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all. Being a good neighbor is a choice. We must make time for those who live closest to us so they get a glimpse of the gospel in us. In 2011, Peter Lovenheim wrote, In the Neighborhood, the Search for Community on an American Street, One Sleepover at a Time. The book grew from his experience of living in a suburban neighborhood in Rochester, New York, where a murder-suicide took the lives of two physicians and left their two children, 11 and 12, without parents. He wrote, What struck me, besides the tragedy, was how little it seemed to affect the neighbors. A family who had lived on our street for seven years had vanished, and yet the impact on the neighborhood seemed slight. No one, I learned, had known the family well. I also learned few of my neighbors knew each other more than casually. Many didn't even know the names of those a door or two away. Do I live in a neighborhood, I asked myself, or just on a street in a house surrounded by people whose lives are entirely separate? Why in this age of instant and universal communication do we often not know the people who live next door? To see if I could connect with my neighbors beyond a superficial level, I asked them if I could sleep over at their houses and write about their lives from inside their own homes. To my surprise, about half the neighbors I approached said yes. Getting to know my neighbors in this way enlivened the experience of living there. It helped me forge connections that enriched my life and made it easier for the people on my street to look out for each other. Granted, this is an extreme means of getting to know your neighbors. However, connecting with those who live closest to us needs to be a priority. How do we start? Well, we do it one neighbor at a time. 
All it takes is making a phone call, sending a card, or ringing a bell. I want to challenge you this week to reach out and make a connection with a neighbor you don't know well. If you do, I'd love to hear about it. You might be just exactly what your neighbor needs. Next week, I'll be talking about overcoming the barrier of fear in meaningfully connecting with our neighbors, and I hope you'll join us. Until then, take care and may God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.